Season 1, Episode 1 of Get Wise, College Admissions Explained. I'm Arun Panasami. Today's episode, there is no magic formula. We'll be talking about the idea that there's no shortcut to getting into college. There's no X plus Y equals Z. So much of it is about nuance and the great stories you share. Our guest is Kevin McMullen. He's the founder of College Wise, which is the producer of this podcast and has been doing college counseling for over 20 years. It's where I work. I'm the chief academic officer. A fancy way of saying... I'm a pretty good college counselor, and I've been doing it for a while, 15 years, in fact. Before that, I worked in admissions at the University of Chicago and Caltech. I know, some real party places. And I also read applications at UCLA. Okay, let's get into it. So, Kevin, it's great to have you on here. Um, We've been kind of entwined in each other's lives, for better or for worse, for all these years. I know we were even in each other's weddings. We've been longtime friends. We won't relive those memories right now, but man, how are things going for you? It's great. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And you started CollegeWise now over 20 years ago, and we're starting with this idea of there's no magic formula. Was there 20 years ago? Was there a magic formula? Is this something that's changed? No, no. In fact, you know, I'm kind of thinking you and I are actually the living example right now of no matter how much things change, so much in college admissions remains the same. You know, when we met in 2004, as you probably remember, we, we we got together and had dinner at a uh, at a Wolfgang Puck Express that was conveniently located near the Ontario airport. And I walked in, and you were you were working at Caltech and sitting there slumped over a stack of college applications. And we spent the next two hours over some mediocre pizza talking about how we viewed the college admissions world. And now here we are again, all these years later, you know, it, like virtually that has changed, but we're talking about the same kinds of things. And uh, no, that's one of the things we talked about then. And I said that I would get in front of audiences um, at high schools as um, someone who ran a college counseling business and everyone was looking for a magic formula. And you said the same thing. As an admissions officer at Caltech at that time, you would go to high schools, you would do these presentations, and everyone was looking for you to give that, or at least not everyone, but a lot of people were asking you, tell me exactly what to do, how I will get in. And we had to give them the right. same answer, which was, there is no magic formula. Um, and, and really, it was... I think it's worth noting for the listeners here that when we say there's no magic formula, there's a few caveats we have to give. I mean, one of which is with 2,500 colleges in the country, more than that, actually, that there actually are hundreds of colleges where there's a formula. It's not magic. It's public. They put it on their website, and most of those are, you know, the the, the less selective public schools. When I say selective, it means, you know, they, they admit more people than they deny. And those schools will put up on their website, if you take these classes, if you get these grades, if you get these test scores, you're going to get in. And it's and it's a public thing. But as colleges you know become more selective, that's where people come to those presentations like you and I did and they come to their college counselors and they ask if I want to go to one of these schools that turns away a lot more people than, than they admit, just tell me exactly what to do so I could get in. And and that's that's where there is no magic formula. There is there there are best practices, there's good advice, there's things that always ring true, but there is no follow this checklist of ninety nine things, do exactly as I tell you and you will be admitted to these schools. And that really has not changed. It's never been there and it and it's not here today. Yeah, I I often remember, you know, when I worked at Caltech, you know, traveling even across the country and being so excited, you know, that Caltech's an amazing university, and I, I'd be so pumped to go to a college fair, 
And, you know, I'd be waiting for that moment when students burst in the gymnasium. I'm, I'm all ready to talk about, you know, you can go mountain biking in the San Gabriel Mountains. You can do research with a Nobel Prize winning professor. You're you can go mountain biking make... with that Nobel Prize winning professor. There's a, you could do that. That, that happens. That, yeah. Yes, that absolutely. Ha- hopefully there'll be an opportunity to share a story I had yeah. with a Nobel Prize winning professor there. But students would burst in and I'd be so excited to talk about the school. And the first question how many hours of community service do I need to get into Caltech? You know, and it's the fingernails honestly, on the blackboard question for admissions officers too. Tip for all the students yeah. out there listening: Yeah, eventually college fairs are going to resume in person. Please don't ever ask the question: How many community service hours are enough? It's just there are yeah. so many, so, so many things wrong with that question. But yeah, they're looking yeah. for you to give them the precision, right? Right, right. Well, I remember when when you started the blog, I was helping and I was kind of monitoring some of the analytics in the background. And I think I had guest posted once and I had titled it, how many APs does it take to get into Harvard? Yeah. Somewhat as a joke, yeah. but it was fascinating that that was the number one search result that brought people there. People <laughs> literally were typing into yeah. Google, Bing, whatever your choice is. At that time, it would have been, you know, ask Jeeves or whatever the case was. And how many... AP classes do I need to get into Harvard? Yeah. Actually imagining that Harvard might be posting eight, and six, w- And what a great example, by the way, like even in that title alone of what I was saying, like there are best practices and then there are, you know, uh, mystical, non-existent magic formulas. If you want to go to a school like Harvard, is it better to take hard classes or to take easy classes? Well, it's better to take hard classes. That's what you're going to have to do. But if you're looking for someone to tell you you need to take this precise number of AP courses that just doesn't exist. I mean, what right. would you say to students right. at those college fairs when they would say, how many community service hours are enough? I've, I've done 50. Should I do more? Yeah. Well, I mean, my inside voice was like, oh, no, not again. I thought it might be a little <laughs> bit different here. But, you know, externally, listen, I understand. Um, I was an admissions officer. And, you know, there would be, co- you know, there would be college counselors who would ask me in front of their students. And they would say, you know, well, what kind of course load do you recommend for my students? And I would say they need to challenge themselves. And, in, and for a place like the University of Chicago, another school I worked in admissions at, at those schools, I would say, well, you need to take the toughest classes available at your school, being completely oblivious to the fact that some of these schools might have 20, almost 30 advanced placement courses. So that was, frankly, pretty terrible advice as an admissions officer. And the reality is, is, hey, any admissions officers tuning in, it's pretty bad advice when you go out and tell a kid, take the toughest workload available to you, because it actually means absolutely nothing yeah. without some broader yeah. um, broader content. So I feel a little bit guilty. This is a little bit of uh, uh, community service. You know, I'm paying a little bit of a price here, uh, Twenty, you know, almost 20 some years later out of... Um, out of admissions. But, you know, the advice I give kids now is, you know, you're always being evaluated within the context of your own application. I mean, that's something that we have been the question many of, you know, as we talk to our own colleagues, Kevin, so many of our counselors, like, what are the questions that you're hearing from students and parents right now? And they're asking, like, oh, my gosh, like, what happens if my school goes pass fail, but our arch rival across town, they're going to stick with ABCD. Yeah, you know, that must be an advantage. And then kind of hilariously a family from the that other school is saying oh my gosh like my arch rival school has gone pass fail surely that's an advantage they're all gonna get in instead of of me yeah (laughs) yeah how how and and you've done such a nice job over the years how how 
did you speak to parents? If you're still blogging, what would you be telling? What would you tell those parents who are getting fixated on the pass pass fail versus A, B, C, and D? Like, what should our focus be on? Well, I mean, there's a number of things happening here, and while you and I may get during this podcast occasionally snarky about the people looking for magic formulas, I have to say, especially as a parent now, I understand why people are searching for that kind of precision. Um, you know, these kids are working so hard. They've been they've been inculcated into this system where they've told like your education is so, they're told your education is so important and take hard classes and get good grades and get good test scores and work hard and set lofty goals for yourself and that's the key to success in life and all, all these kinds of things. But then when they ask, you know, hey, tell me, should I do this activity or that activity? Which is better for my goal? And they get these kind of mushy answers from counselors and admissions officers saying, well, which would you rather do? There is no right answer. That's the truth, but I understand why it's not very satisfying for families because you know we want to have some certainty about our futures, right? We all want that, um, and unfortunately, the the more difficult it is to get into the kinds of colleges you want to go to, and and that by the way, that's a personal choice everybody makes, and we can do a whole different episode. We probably will about whether or not those are actually better schools. We should say you and I. As well as all of our colleagues at CollegeWise, resoundingly agree that you know the more prestigious colleges aren't necessarily better educations. But having right. said that, if you set those goals for yourself, then those are places that are getting applications from the highest achieving students from all over the world. So there really is no formula they could apply because they could admit multiple full freshman classes full of perfect grades and test scores, people that on paper did everything right, and that's why an admissions officer. Even like yourself, who worked there, who was in the room, who made those decisions, couldn't answer those questions with precision for families because there was no right answer. And in fact, going back to that, uh, going back to you know, the, the time we first met, I actually remember something that you said in that interaction that made me realize that why this would be so great to have you on our staff because we were a small company at that time. There were only four of us, right. and we, we were doing a great job. Our company was growing. Our, our families were really happy with us. We had great results, but none of us had actually worked in admissions. We'd worked in various parts of the process, and we'd helped families. We knew what we were doing, but we had never sat, as you put it, on the other side of the desk. And one of the things you said while we were talking about it was um, – I. I one of the things I like most about my job, I love being able to go into committee, which is the phrase admissions officers use for we're all going to go in that room and argue for who we want to admit. He said, I love being able to go into committee and make the argument, I think this kid can do it. And I thought that sentence right there is the human element that a lot of families don't understand. It means that something about that kid, not just the grades, not just the GPA, not just the test scores, something about that kid resonated with you as an individual that may or may not resonate with all of your colleagues. And it may not be the typical kid that would usually get into Caltech. And I'm going to guess that kid you were arguing for wasn't a kid with B's and C's, especially in math and science. (laughs) But it was the kid that other people might have looked past. And there were lots of kids that you might make a different argument for, but I thought that if families could see that, they could see how human this is, how personal this is. And that's why we can't apply some precise formula to tell you, you know, follow these steps and you'll get into these really selective colleges. Right. Well, you know, I, you know, in addition to Chicago and Caltech, and I feel like I'm name dropping here and my colleague, Liz Pack, would make fun of me for that. But, uh, you know, I also spent time reading at UCLA and, you know, I would spend hours in a block of time reading through these applications. And you're talking about the university that draws more applications than any other university in the world every year. I think this past year was over 112 thousand applications for just, you know, uh, 10,000 spots or so. And 
through just the few hours in, in one evening, I would see kids who were ready to be admitted who are Olympic level athletes. I would see some who had been doing research, you know, at their high schools, but I would also, not at their high schools, but at local universities. And then I'd also see the kids who were just doing remarkable things in their own community, sometimes as small as their own family. Like it was just the kid who was spending hours being an amazing big brother and big sister while both parents were working two, three jobs to, you know, support the family. Yeah. And all of those kids were admissible under different um, standards. And so when we talk about this idea of a magic formula, you know, you've got the rare. Yeah. If you go out and you win the gold, um, the gold medal in the physics Olympiad in the United States or China, you're going to be pretty well qualified for, yeah. you know, pretty much any university. If you um, invent the proton, you're going to get in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The cure, <laughs> we joke about cures to cancer, right? Yeah. I mean, some, some kids think that's what you've got to do, but, and you've got, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, an, yeah. an excellent student and the world's greatest golfer as yeah. a teenager. Yeah. Stanford becomes a little bit of, they've got a spot for you there. Right. But once you move past the, that, it's so many factors, and I think when students get fixated on this, uh, parents get fixated on, oh, I need to take this many number of APs, and I need to get this particular SAT score. We see those statistics. You know, I think Princeton even publishes, you know, we could admit two and a half times our entering class every year mm -hmm. of just valedictorians, yeah. right? And I think, you know, at CollegeWise, we, we not only love the stories, but we love the numbers to accompany those narratives. And, you know, we often look at this number of where there are tens of thousands of students who take over a dozen AP classes through the course of high school, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember yeah. um, at Caltech, one of the memories that sticks in my head was reading a kid who at the end of 11th grade, he had um, already taken a dozen AP classes. Yeah. So at the end of junior year, 12 AP uh, uh, exams he had taken, he had yeah. gotten 11 fives and one four. Yeah. And he had another 10 he was planning on taking, you know, there um, in his senior year. You know, yeah. obviously he was doing self-study outside. Yeah. But when we got to him in committee, we finished his, uh, our decision was in 90 seconds. Because you know what? When we got to the letters of recommendation, they talked about him being a quiet student who sat in the back of the classroom and diligently executed on the tests. And that was it. Yeah. There was yeah. no talk about when other kids were jammed up in physics. He was the one who would lean over and go, hey, I got some free time. Let me time. help you out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a little like it was a no brainer for us. Like, yeah. yeah. Listen, there was a college that was perfect for him. And I, I know he's doing well out there in the world. But at a place like Caltech where students are expected to kind of engage with each other, wrestle with yeah. ideas, challenge the professor, there's no room for a kid who sits quietly in the back corner. Right. And, you know, we... we well, that's a that's a great example of of uh, of sort of the the magic formula misnomer, right? So I mean, we need to say, any student that has the intellect and the work ethic to take that many AP classes to get those kinds of scores to put that kind of work into their high school career, there are hundreds of colleges that are going to trip over themselves to admit that school that that kid, including you know arguably many very selective schools. But had that student or his parents asked someone 
I, you know, I really want to go to Caltech. I really want to go to Yale. I really want to go to Brown. I really want to go to Dartmouth, any one of those kinds of schools. Um, tell me, will this be enough APs? You just gave the example. It took 90 seconds in a Caltech committee to decide, well, because of this letter of rec, this isn't the kind of student we want joining here. So we're not dismissing kids that work that hard, but really where the more formula falls apart is around what do you want the formula to equal? And if on the if the equal sign you're hoping will point to admission to one particular school or admission to a very narrow parameter of schools, that's the example of where the formula falls apart. Yep, Stanvard. That's the school. Yeah, that Stanvard. Hear a lot of kids. Uh, <laughs> like I remember, an, I remember an example you shared. I thought was really powerful. That just again, I really want to. I want, I want families to understand the human element behind this, which I, I can make people uncomfortable because they can't. They can't control the human element. You don't know who's going to read your application. Now, we know admissions officers, and we have lots of former ones that work here. We know how they think. We know that what they're looking for in students. But there's personal preferences. There's things that resonate with some people more than others. And a couple things you mentioned. One, I remember you told me about the mechanical engineering applicant who grew up on a farm in a tiny town yes, and wrote about, fall, wrote about falling in love with mechanical engineering because his job from the time that he was like 11 on the farm was to mm-hmm. keep the family tractor running. Yep. And if the family tractor didn't run, the family wasn't going to eat. They weren't, yep. they, they weren't going to be able to pay their bills. That was a yep. really important job. Now, people looking for a magic formula might try to extract from that and say, oh, so kids on farms have an advantage. What I, or, you know, so if I'm living here in, in you know, metropolitan Los Angeles, I need to go <laughs> learn how to, how to fix a tractor. That's what they're looking for. No, that's not what they're looking for. That was just something compelling that that particular student shared. And that, that's what this process looks like. I remember that was something else you told me early on was right. I think most people don't understand how personal this process really is right Um, and it is ultimately it's a human being reading about another human being and then making an argument to another group of human beings about whether or not this fellow human being should join us the human element never goes away yeah and well and i will say you know this podcast we're not looking to center it on you know life in the time of covid but at this particular moment it is hard to imagine that college admissions will not end up leaning more towards looking at these students in a more personal way. There isn't going to be a greater reliance on test scores. There isn't going to be a greater reliance on GPAs. In fact, we're seeing the trend head in the opposite direction. We're going to see a lot more emphasis placed on, you know, social emotional growth Mm -hmm. and how are students being creative and curious and collaborative and showing concern for others. Those are the things those are the factors colleges are going to be making decisions on. So those kids yeah. who are kind of authentic, you know, we, we often joke, you know, amongst ourselves at college wise, you know, the, the student who comes up to us and says, you know, tell me what it takes to get into Dartmouth and I'll do it. Ah, yeah. Cringe just a little bit. You know, I appreciate yeah. the ambition and the earnestness, but gosh, there is no formula. I can't just say X, Y, and Z, and you'll do these amazing things. You know, the students that I see shining, in fact, many of the students, particularly college-wise, that we see getting into a lot of these selective schools or even at less selective schools, but winning one of the merit scholarships, these are students where their admission or this winning the scholarship is almost a byproduct of just mm-hmm. being the best version of themselves. No, I never yeah. had to go out and tell student X, you should go out and learn these seven languages. And just because no one in your town or your community speaks this language, I never had to tell her to go online and find a community where stay up till two o'clock in the morning on the weekends to be able to work on your um, you know, Polish 
Polish wasn't yeah. the language. Yeah. It was actually Russian, and she was living in Australia. <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't have to tell her these things. She was just pumped, yeah. like, I love languages, and I'm fascinated to connect all these linguistic traditions together and you know by the way she she's at harvard and shout yeah. out to ashley if she's uh yeah. <laughs> listening uh by well, chance you, know, you say that you, you say that you would cringe and you know that that's true I'll, I'll, I'll go even further than that i mean not only would i cringe when i, I mean i i counseled students myself for the first six or seven years of college wise and this is another thing that hasn't changed i think when you hear a student say something like that just tell me what to do to get into dartmouth and i'll do it it's admirable goal setting. It's admirable the work ethic they're willing to put in. But I not only would cringe inside, I would shake my head and say that you just kind of outed yourself as the kid who's not going to get in. Yeah. Because because the kids that get in don't ask that question. They're, it's not it's not about that for them. They have high goals for themselves. Um, so I'll give a counter example. Um, I, I worked with a really high achieving student uh, named Marcello, who was also a a, a water polo player. And I remember, and he had a lot of swagger about him, and it was well-deserved. I mean, just everything that kid touched, he was successful at doing, Um, except for one thing, tutoring. He was a terrible tutor, and he admitted that, and he said that in one of his essays. He said, like, I'm a terrible tutor. I don't have the patience for it. The whole time I'm just thinking, I get it. Why don't you get it? And I love that he was sort of, you know, self-reflective about that. But um, I remember he said to me in a meeting one time, just kind of offhand, he had goals. He wanted to be a um, an electrical engineering major, and he wanted to play Division One water polo. And he said, "I just feel like if I can be, if if I can graduate college with a degree in electrical engineering and four years of Division One water polo, I'm going to be unstoppable." And I loved the drive behind that. But Swagger. what I loved more was it was not attached to a particular school. He didn't say, "If I get into Yale." I'll be unstoppable. He sort of felt like whoever gets me, uh, you know, like and whoever I get, whoever you know, we're lucky enough to find each other in college. Whichever college I go to, I'm going to execute that, and then I'll sort of take ownership of my own life. And he's done exactly that. And by the way, he got into lots of prestigious colleges, but that's not what it was about for him. Right. So, Kevin, we've been talking a lot, you know, kind of at college wise um, about this idea of opportunity over obstacle. And that is fully acknowledging the fact that, you know, there are absolutely students and parents and families out there and communities that are still struggling with a lot of access, uh, are still struggling with a lot of aspects of what the virus has um, brought, whether that's food, their own personal, Mm -hmm. you know, well-being and safety, um, shelter, warmth, whatever the case might be. But in this scenario, for those kids who have gotten past that, and they're pretty well situated at home, they have broadband internet, there are still some students out there, and I'm, I'm hearing this, you know, we've been doing a lot of webinars and live uh, AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, and there's been a, a little bit of a tinge of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now, you know, I'm happy playing FIFA mm-hmm. yeah. 12 hours a day with my brother, yeah. <laughs> but I still want to go to Stanford what advice would you give to yeah. those kids who are still kind of jammed up a little bit? And I don't know, maybe even using this as an excuse. Um, well, so actually there's a, there's an element you know, for me that I feel like, uh, look, I'd, I'd rather there not be a pandemic, but, but so now we, we have a situation where these kids who previously were sitting in school for six hours a day, and then so many of them were jammed up with activities after school, and then the tutoring, and that we, and we just hear over and over again about kids that are averaging you know four or five hours of sleep a night, and have, they're overscheduled, they're overburdened. So now a lot of that has been removed. Let's look at that is potentially a good thing, again, with your caveat of for kids that aren't facing the challenge at home. If, it's, if your biggest challenge is, I don't know what to do with this time, 
That's a luxury. So you don't have to fill those same 16 hours a day. You should play FIFA with your brother. You should get more sleep. You should do those things. But the students who want to go to college, and particularly more selective schools, for the right reasons, because they're, they're intellectually curious, they want to make an impact doing things that matter to them, they want to go further their education, they want to learn, they want to grow, they're not only, we've always said for years, they're going to do that wherever they go yep. to college. Well, now, those kids are going to do that right now. And it doesn't matter that the jazz band isn't meeting to practice anymore. They're going to find a way to bring those players together on Zoom and play together or to learn new pieces. And those kids that love physics, they're going to find a way to learn physics. These days. When you and I were in high school, we couldn't do that. If you weren't in school, you could go to the library and you could check out books, but there was no YouTube. Right? I mean, I'm dating ourselves right. here, but the fact our business is 20 years old and I've been here for all 20 and you've been here for all but four means we're older than all these students. right? But now you have access. MIT's entire course curriculum is available for free. You can take... You've got YouTube, you've got blogs, you've got you know PDFs you can download, you can learn anything. So what I would say to students today is you have a choice. When you apply to college, you can tell them a story, literally or figuratively, like you could write it in an essay or you could have your whole story be, I want to explain defensively how I was put at a disadvantage when school was you know, let out and I had to learn at home, that meant that it moved to pass-fail and my, my you know, trigonometry teacher didn't appreciate me and, didn't, and, and, and all this stuff happened. Or you can be the kid who said, you know, I really had an opportunity here to try to make the classes better for the students while we were on Zoom. I would be the one who would try to initiate discussions. I would be the person who would reach out to the kid who was struggling. I found a way for our, you know, for the other students who liked poetry to get together and talk about poetry. I found a way, like I said, for the jazz band to get together. I found a way to finally go read all those authors I've been wanting to read for so long, but I just never had the time because I was spending all that time in class and doing homework. And that's gonna be your story. So. I have said for years, but I think it really applies now more than ever, a great way for families to evaluate when you're looking for that magic formula. Is, you know, is this a good choice I'm about to make about this activity or what I'm going to do with my summer? Is to, is to consider if you were asked, because you might be by a college interviewer or in an essay question, if you were asked, tell me more about that decision and why you did it. If your answer to that question is, I did it because I thought it would help me get into UCLA, that's not a very compelling right. answer. Or the student who says, oh, I did it because I've always wanted to learn this or I've always wanted to be around these kinds of people or I've always wanted to learn that, you know, that this particular you know, aspect of myself and how I might bring it to something valuable. That's a really compelling answer. Now more than ever, you not only have the opportunity to answer that question, but you can initiate it. You can say, what can I do with this time that I've never had time to do before? And then when it's time to apply to college, you can actually make that part of your story and say, Look, the circumstances were terrible for lots of people. They were better for me than they were for others, and here's what I did with that time. That's a real opportunity. Right. I remember hearing the uh, famed dean of admissions at uh, Harvard, Bill Fitzsimmons, once talk about, you know, the activity, I can't do the Boston accent, but, <laughs> uh, you know, the activity that interests me most on a student's application is the one where if I told them, you can't put it on your application to Harvard, they would still do it. Right. Yeah. Like they were just yeah. doing it because this was part of them. This was something that gave them life that, you know, pushed them forward towards goals and visions that they had of themselves. And, you know, we, we kind of encourage students to do a little bit of that activity inventory. And I suspect that's happening naturally right now in a lot of houses. Yeah. Like, you know what? I don't really miss 
you know, um, I don't really miss the environmental club and I don't really miss the film club, but you know what I really miss is tutoring. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to figure out ways to do it, even though I, the cafeteria isn't open and I can't meet with the middle school students and dive deep with them. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to reach out to some of the neighbors who I'm still close with. And, you know, those kids who are engaging with the world around them, I think they're 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 going to end up doing some pretty wonderful things. And I know we're reading a lot about some of the challenges and tough things, but I, I'm a strong believer after, you know, historically, a lot of beautiful things come out of these kind of crisis um, yeah. moments in history. And I think students are rising as our teachers and counselors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from every crisis, from every terrible situation, something happens as a result of it, right? I mean, there was the world probably you know it, the world would have been a better place had world war ii yep. never happened but a lot of things happened as a result after world war ii well this is an example now of like teenagers have some opportunities yep. now yep. um you know an example it's kind of a buzzword these days and a lot of people use it you know, authenticity you know um i think authenticity is very real in college admissions and on the one hand i should say i mean it, uh, nobody is truly authentic, right. right? Except except little kids. None of us are acting oh, Kevin, every day very exactly authentic. as we want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I say my every thought as I'm as I'm thinking it. You know, and I don't censor myself at all. No, nobody really does that. But um, the uh, the authenticity in college admissions that works is sort of what we're talking about here. It's every student is an individual. They've got things that interest them. They've got things that don't interest them. They've got things they like to do, things they don't like to do. They've got personality traits. And instead of trying to mold yourself to fit some imaginary formula that you think will get you into this college, what you should be doing is, how do I bring the best version of myself in each of those different areas? Um, and that will be my story. And then have some faith that the right colleges will appreciate me, because they will. Um, but you're, 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 you're chasing... Um, you're chasing a destination that doesn't actually exist if you're predicating all of your decisions on I'll do the one that that college will appreciate it because that that will help me get in. It does just yeah. doesn't work like that. It's I read I actually read you know I know you and I are both fans of of the MIT mm -hmm. admissions blog and now lots of colleges have blogs but MIT was sort of the 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 yep. originator right they were the granddaddy and um, I think. Um, it was Ben Jones who was their their former director of communications, and if I'm remembering right, I think he moved on to Oberlin, but he was one of their most prolific writer. writers. And I remember, such great post. yeah, and and I, I remember one of his quotes, which and and by the way, the title of the post, which everyone can go to the admissions blog at MIT and read this, it's called "There Is No Formula." Right? Um, but he said, "Trying to define admissions with a formula is like trying to define life with a formula. It would take the human component out of it, which is perhaps the most important right. part." And and that that's true for everything that we do in our lives. Right? We we can't tell people, well, if you want to marry that person over there, just do these ninety nine things, and that person will marry you. Yep. It doesn't work like that. Same thing when you're trying to get a job someplace. Are there best practices for both those things? Sure, things that would improve your chances. Yes, but no right. guarantee. Um, and and it's hard for families to get comfortable with that, and I understand why. But they're, they're you know they they have to because you can find great comfort in knowing that if my student works hard and pursues things that matter to them, and they make an impact in ways that they can be proud of and they tell their story and they've got especially if they've got supportive you know a supportive parent in their corner you're going to be just fine there's going to be plenty of colleges that will take you and it may or may not be your dream school but you'll still right. be just fine and they ought to find they should find some reassurance right. in and that. you know you're reminding me i was listening to um 
uh, one of my favorite professors out there, a guy by the name of Chris Emden, who's at Columbia's Teachers College, and he kind of explores the intersection of hip hop and education. And he's often trying to reach a lot of students who are, you know, into hip hop, urban, who, who live in urban environments. And he was talking about how challenges aside, this is actually a wonderful opportunity for so many students who have been felt constrained by traditional school schooling expectations to reinvent themselves. And he had a number of other educators on there. And it was so inspiring here. These kids were like, yeah, I, I never had a chance to like do cartooning. But now I've got a couple hours a day yeah. where I can dive deep into this. And you know what? My teacher in computer science class didn't take me seriously because I wear a hoodie in every day. But now I go online. I found these <laughs> YouTube videos. There are all these classes. And I'm like legit a programmer now, right? So I, I'm seeing these kids oh, yeah. find ways to kind of like find the best in it. And if there are these kids in these tough circumstances figuring it out, hey, when the admissions offices come to making yeah. decisions, they're not necessarily going to let you off the hook just because your school closed down yeah, and you had absolutely. a bad teacher who didn't maybe you know, engage. And let's be fair, teachers are going through some things right now, right? They've got their own kids absolutely. to take care of and their parents to look after. So sorry, were you going to say something there, Kevin? Well, you, I love that you I love that you mentioned that about the teachers, by the way. And I'm biased. Um, you know, my, my mother was a, a high school English teacher at a public school at my high school, by the way. Uh, and my brother actually had her for English and wrote his college <laughs> essay about that. And he went to Harvard. So I, that's not a magic formula, but it did work for him. But, um, you know, teachers are in a tough spot these days. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to bring that passion they have for education, uh, you know, over Zoom. And they're trying to reach these kids in ways they've never had to reach them before. And. You know, I, I'm imagining admissions officers rolling their eyes about students who complain, well, my chemistry teacher wasn't very good because you know, we had to do it remotely, or here's how my teacher failed me, here's how my teacher let me down. You know, you even pre-pandemic, you taught me this. Whenever someone would, you know, in an essay, you know, whenever someone would complain about how it, you know, they, I didn't do well in this class because the teacher wasn't very good, you always said to yourself, somebody got an A in that class. Right. Yeah, somebody didn't complain yeah. about it. Um, and what an opportunity. So, you know, for the students listening to this or for the parents listening on behalf of your students, how could you make those classes better for those teachers these days? How could you, your story could be, you know, when this teacher writes you a letter of recommendation, they talk about how you were the one who found a way to make this class better. I don't know what that looks like. Could look different for each class. Or it could be that you're the one who reaches out to the students who are struggling. Could be you're the one who initiates questions. Could be that you're the one who just says, whatever the new version is of an engaged student online, I will be that kid and I will stand out in that way. Maybe you reach out directly to your teacher and say, hey, just want to thank you for everything you're doing for us. If there's anything I can do to help, in this new environment, I'd be happy to do it. That will go a long way. Your teachers are people too, and that's an opportunity for you. I keep using that word human, but it's what it is. It's an opportunity for you to be a real human and say, we're all in a tough spot right now. How do we work together and, and make it better for everybody? That's a real opportunity to not just do something to help you get into college, but do something that actually makes things better for your, your educational community, your peers and your teachers. Yeah. And I want to come back to that human element because I know that a lot of the anxiety for students and parents right now is the, but how will they understand my situation? You know, how will they understand what I'm mm -hmm. going through? And I just want to reassure all the parents and students out there, um, your counselors will attest to this, certainly all the admissions officers will. The process allows for plenty of room for individuality. Mechanically, 
there are places in the application for you to talk about stuff that's not even part of your personal statement, but you'll have a chance to talk about not just the activities you've been doing, but why you've been doing them. So don't get fixated on these mechanics right now. Focus more on, you know, what you can be doing. And, you know, I think this is such a great time for, I have a colleague, Ashley, who did, um, who's been talking to a lot of students about, you know, using writing as this tool to like reflect. And, you know, it always sounds corny. I mean, I, I cringe thinking of my teachers who, were, who said, you know, journaling is, you know, really important. And in some ways, stuff like Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, all these platforms I don't fully understand. They're, they're forms of journaling and chronicling kids' you know, lives and mm -hmm. parents getting a chance to observe them. You know, I'm going to encourage people to keep doing that and giving yourself a chance to kind of reflect upon. And you know, we've been joking a little bit, and I don't. I hope this isn't going to happen for the sake of the admissions officers. You know, um, will there be an essay on the app, common application asking what did you do during the quarantine of 2020? Um, because I think there's a chance for repetition, but I'm going to note it for the students and parents who listen to the advice that Kevin's been sharing here um, today and that I've been talking about, they're actually going to write some pretty interesting, exciting things, right? The kind of stuff that makes an admissions yeah. officer kind of sit up after having read dozens of like, oh, you know, this is what I did during, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be those kids who are like, it sucked, but let me tell you about the good stuff that came out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about how I oh, yeah. changed. Kevin, were you gonna chime in there? Yeah. Oh, I was just nodding my head vigorously yeah. at everything you were saying. Um, you know, uh, when admissions officers are looking at an application, and especially when they're looking at the mechanical aspects, the classes you took, the grades you got, the test scores, and, and you know what activities you were participating in, that, that, all that matters a lot. But what they're really looking for is, what are the traits that you exhibited behind that? And one of the things that, you and I kind of figured out together early in our time at CollegeWise because we saw so much of what we were trying to do. We didn't want to just tell kids, go do this. We wanted to help families understand the process. Um, and, you know, if the, if the theme of this podcast is there's no magic formula, but there are best practices, there are, there are three traits that will always serve you well in college admissions, no matter where you want to go to college. Um, and you can you can demonstrate them. Uh, you have, I think, a newfound opportunity to demonstrate them in compelling ways right now. Um, the, the first is, and it's a buzzword, but it's passion. It's what do you actually care about? What do you actually like doing? What are you interested in? Um, and, and you would look for that for a student who was, whether they were playing sports, whether they were doing community service, whether they got a black belt in karate. The achievements are one part of it, but I think it was you, actually, who told me, but correct me if I was wrong, that you gave me the, the anecdote of, I'm not really a fan of opera, and a kid that you know writes an essay about being an opera singer, like, I don't like that kid because they like opera. That's not what's compelling to me. Like, you didn't get, it was actually you didn't musical get closer theater to being that I wasn't because, a fan of. Oh, it was at musical that theater. Time. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, right, yeah. But, but you said your phrase was, um, but I like how much, or you said, I love how much the kid loves musical theater. That's the passion. That is contagious. So channel yeah. that. So for students, what have you always wished you could spend even more time doing? Or what are the things that you haven't ever had time to do that now you can try? If an admissions officer were to say, tell me more about that. Why did you do that? And you gush in the, in the form of an essay or in an interview, that, that's, that's passion. That's contagious. I'd say that's trait one. Trait two is that, that love of learning, that curiosity. The grades show that you have the ability but the student who has an answer to the question, what's your favorite class? What's your favorite book you've ever read? What are you most excited to learn about in college? Those kids we're talking about that did it for all the right reasons, they have answers to those questions. So 
So what's the thing that you or the things that now you have more time ostensibly that you can pursue? How can you dig deep? How could you tell that college? You know, when I had a little more time in my schedule, when the whole world turned upside down, these are the things I learned more about or the things I learned about the first time. And that might not be stuff that you would typically learn about in school. I mean, maybe this is when you finally learn how to play all your favorite Beatles you know, songs on guitar because um, you never had the time to do it before. But show that you have that curiosity. Um, and then the last part is initiative, um, that colleges are looking for the students who say, like, I, I don't just wait to be told what to do. I don't just follow instructions. If I'm interested in something, I go learn it. If there's something I want to do, I go start it. I, I gather other people together. And there are just, I mean, the world is screaming for people to show that right now. Now, you, you're, you're somewhat limited by having to do that from your house. But, I mean, I'm just thinking of all sorts of ways that kids could do that. I mean, I, like, could you imagine how would it resonate? I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and share this because maybe kids will take this and go do it. It would be so great. You know, schools are everyone's socially disconnected now. I mean, what if you were the kid who just put out the word that said, hey, every day at noon on Zoom, I'm going to eat lunch in front of a camera. <laughs> Anyone who wants to join, come join me. Like, what if you said eventually our entire junior class, we had 380 kids showing up to Zoom. We broke Zoom. We had to pay for a paid program so we could get more kids there. It's a comparatively simple thing. You didn't go save the world. You didn't go you know, get a patent. You didn't do anything like that. You just said, you know what? I'm going to make our world, our little slice of the world, a little bit better right now by initiating something. Yep. So when you show that passion, you show that intellectual curiosity, you show that willingness to, 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 to take initiative. It's called taking initiative right. for a reason. Right? No one gives it to you. That's going to be compelling. Follow those traits wherever they take you, and colleges will appreciate it. 100% agree. I mean, the one thing I would add, if I was to add a, a fourth one there to your list of uh, three, would be this concern for others, you know, kindness, caring for others. I think this is something that colleges will absolutely be focused on. Um, I know after Hurricane Katrina, given the situation that the city of New Orleans was in, Tulane University very much realized they needed a particular kind of student who was going to thrive on that campus. And they kind of rebuilt some of their admissions process and even the essay questions to look for a certain kind of student. And I think, you know, nationally, we're not looking at having to necessarily rebuild cities, but we are having to look at, you know, perhaps rebuilding our psyches and our sense of who we are as individuals <laughs> yeah. and as a country. And if you're someone who kind of just silos yourself into a, I love physics, I'm just going to learn a lot about physics, that's going to look very different than, oh, I love physics. And hey, look, there are ways in which I can learn more about how physics relates to genetics. And through genetics, we might be able to more rapidly respond to growing vaccines. I don't need every kid to feel like they need to be focused on you know solving the next pandemic out there. But this idea of being able to support each other and lift each other in times of need, it, it's hard for me to imagine that colleges won't be keeping their eye out. Um, they might be able to, you know, there might be that kid who took one less AP, got a little bit lower of a test score, and it's going to be perfectly fine for even a selective college to admit them or another school to give them a scholarship because they're like, we need this kind of kid. We don't know what's around the corner, mm -hmm. and we feel better prepared with this kind of presence. Um, on our campus. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing about traits. Traits carry their way into college. 
If you demonstrate just the achievements mechanically, colleges don't necessarily know you're going to do the same thing once you get there. But if you demonstrate the achievements with the traits to back them, you did it because that's exactly who you are, then they know, oh, we're going to get that same kid. You may direct them to different places once you come here, but you've already got that caring for others. You've already got that intellectual curiosity. You've got that willingness to take initiative, to make an impact, to show your passion. Direct them once you get here. We'll welcome you home yeah. when you come. Thank yeah, you, Kevin. Exactly. I mean, that's – and in some ways, listen um, – uh, this kind of resourcefulness that we had to even pull this first episode together. I appreciate your patience on it. We're just short of like duct tape and paper clips in getting this technology <laughs> to work. And a huge shout out to uh, Frank. Um, I'm going to offer a last thought of my own, but I didn't know, Kevin, if you had something that I thought you had a great closing note there. But was there something else that you wanted to add to the parents, students, counselors out there? I, I mean, really just two things. I mean, one, you know. Some of you out there are ill or caring for those who are, and we really do. We want to send you the best. I want to encourage your families and students to think about what really matters right now. And what really matters is not necessarily whether you get into an Ivy League school. What really matters is, are, are you healthy? Is your family healthy? If they're not, how can you help them? Um, and I just want families to uh, have faith. This is something that has not changed. Arun and I have been doing this a long time. Our coll colleagues have been doing this a long time. We have never seen a student who was a good kid, who worked hard, who did their best, who sort of you know brought that effort, who didn't end up okay. And there might have been bumps along the way, and their version of bumps might be, I had that dream college that I didn't get into, and that will feel like the end of the world for some kids on that day. But they all end up going someplace, and they all end up bringing all those great traits with them, and they can go on, and they all go on to live you know happy, successful lives. So the stakes feel so high during these four years, and I understand why parents worry so much for your kids, but there's no one decision you're going to make that will make or break this process for your student. Good kids, you know, if you have a supportive parent, if you're lucky to have a supportive parent in your corner and you're doing your best and you're bringing those traits, you're going to be fine. It'll be okay, I promise. We've seen all the evidence of it. All right, that's it for episode one. Kevin's a great guy. He really did blog every day for almost 10 years. They're all still available at wiselikeus.com. In response to the pandemic, CollegeWise is hosting weekly webinars so you can get your own admissions questions answered from the safety of your home. These are for parents, students, even fellow counselors, anyone with skin in the game. To see a full schedule and sign up, go to collegewise.com COVID. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay six feet away.
All right, that's it for episode one. Kevin's a great guy. He really did blog every single day for almost 10 years. They're all available at wiselikeus.com. Check them out. Also, in response to the pandemic, CollegeWise is hosting weekly webinars so you can get your fix of admissions questions answered from the safety of your own home. These are for parents, students, even fellow counselors, anyone with skin in the game. To see a full schedule and sign up, go to collegewise.com slash COVID. Until next time, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay six feet away. Okay, that's it for episode one. Kevin's a great guy. He really did blog every single day for almost 10 years. They're all still available at wiselikeus.com. Also, in response to the pandemic, CollegeWise is hosting weekly webinars so you can get your admissions questions answered from the safety of your home. These are for parents, students, even fellow counselors, anyone with skin in the game. To see a full schedule and sign up, go to collegewise.com slash COVID. Until, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay six feet apart. All right, that's it for episode one. Kevin's a great guy. He really did blog every single day for almost 10 years. They're all still available at wiselikeus.com. Check them out. Also, in response to the pandemic, CollegeWise is hosting weekly webinars so you can get your admissions questions answered from the safety of home. These are for parents, students, even fellow counselors, anyone with skin in the game. To see a full schedule and sign up, go to collegewise.com COVID. Until next time, stay safe, sane, and six feet apart. Until next time, stay safe, sane, and six feet apart.